Operator. I'd like to report a truck driver that's been endangering my life. What's your name, sir? David Mann. I spell it. I can give you a ride to Bells, a little better, about five miles down the road. They got a payphone called tow truck. They just come in and haul you up. You can choose between ninety thousand dollars or ninety thousand donuts. Better pray she's alive. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise and at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Do it! There, he was on time Why this week. Why don't you do it? We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get uh, an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which, I mean, we're a year into the podcast yeah. now. So you got a lot of hours. Yeah, I think there's something like 25 or 26 Patreon episodes, so yeah. uh, double that because we talk about two movies every week. That's how many movies we talked about. So if you haven't made the jump, consider doing that. Uh, and speaking of which, I didn't pull it up here because I am, as much as I think I'm prepared, I'm never fully prepared, but we <laughs> yeah. have two uh, new patrons to thank this week, and nice. that is uh, Ellen Bailey. Thank you, Ellen. Joining us, and also Joseph Rossett. So thanks so much to both of you guys for uh, joining us on this sleazy journey and getting all those you. bonus episodes. We appreciate it. Um, that's the one plug. What's the other plug? The, uh, iTunes, iTunes, iTunes YouTube, SoundCloud, all those Spotify. Things. We're on Spotify now. Yeah, pretty uh, much everything now. Stitcher. I think. I think we're on every podcast listener of choice. Yeah. But whatever one you're listening to us on, if you've been really liking the show, go give us a good old rating and review over there. It helps Please us do. find new listeners, and we really appreciate that as well. And there, the plugs are out of the way. Welcome back to another episode. Thanks for for being with us. Uh, two weeks ago, I think, would have been the last time uh, free listeners would have heard from us, and that was a big one. Yeah. Uh, we t- counted down. Almost two hours. <laughs> yeah, Jamie and I spent two hours counting down our top ten <laughs> genre movies of 2018. We had a lot of really great feedback about it, lots of people. No one yelled at us, yeah, which was nice. That was nice. I appreciated that. Uh, I mean, we did tell you on air not to yell at us. Yeah, so my maybe. one buddy even was like, hey, two Cage movies. I like you. <laughs> so. Yeah, Nick Cage, he's back. Yeah. Uh, You're so the Cage, baby. <laughs> so we, Jamie and I both con- counted down our top 10 genre movies of 2018. That was two weeks ago. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. It's free. It's for everyone on whatever podcast listener of choice. Uh, but last week, patrons would have got their bonus episode, which they would have heard from us just a week ago. Uh, and that was, uh, we were talking Sui Hark. We did Once mm. Upon a Time in China, 1991. Um, with with Jet Li, and then we also did uh, his his more sort of uh, fantastical, yeah, uh, sort of dreamy fable, Green Snake from 1993, which Jamie and I both watched for the first time and absolutely fell this goes in love for with. It too so many just, odd elements to that film, but all of it works. Really just well. a gorgeous snake. Uh, going on there. I yeah. mean, really creepy watching them. Uh, <laughs> the half snake, half slither around scenes. the rooms yeah, and stuff. Yeah, as hell. very, very interesting film and very uh, morally complex for a uh, uh, fairy tale or fable. Yeah, it wasn't story. just like that fantasy good versus evil thing. It, you know, it went into some. Odd, I wasn't uh, expecting sexual a sexually repression repressed places. monk. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, so that was last week's Patreon episode. Uh, if you want that episode again, that's Patreon.com/slash Lezoid's Podcast. Uh, but this week. We are back with a guest, the first time in, I think, like a month or a month and a half yeah, that we've had a guest, like but I, I, I brought a special one on, uh, uh, one of one of my uh, close uh, 
like critic colleagues here. Uh, we have Keith Ulick, who I believe, uh, Keith, you are the critic for The Hollywood Reporter and also Where Else? Tell me. Yes. Um, hello, guys. Hi, uh, <laughs> hi Josh and Jamie. Um, <clears throat> yes, and, and, and as I've said to ever, as I've said to my hosts here, uh, pardon my uh, my hungover karaoke voice. Uh, <laughs> it was it, it was a fun Saturday night. Let's just say that. But nothing um, wrong with that. Yes. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yes, I write for uh, Hollywood Reporter. I'm, I'm one of the critics over there. Um, or, I, they have a whole roster, basically. And uh, I've been doing a lot of work remotely there for certain festivals and sometimes on the ground, as I've done with uh, Toronto, um, where I uh, often see Josh. Um, and maybe we'll meet Jamie someday. So that would oh, be so. nice. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but uh, I also write uh, for Slant Magazine, um, where um, if you, uh, whenever this goes up, uh, you may be able to access my review of M. Night Shyamalan's Glass very soon. Oh, God, okay. So, nice. with, without, without saying anything, thumbs up, thumbs down? Yes. What are we talking here? Yeah, because we're actually going to go see it uh, this week. So, but don't spoil uh, nothing. It's, have, have, have you read his book um, in that, that he wrote? I mean, you, obviously, you probably wouldn't read it, but it's about how he feels he's solved the problem of America's education gap. Shyamalan? Shyamalan? <laughs> yeah, you, you you don't you don't know about this book, do no. you? No, I guess not. Yeah, he, he wrote a book a few years ago that where he basically says he has five ways that he can fix fix America's education gap, uh, and he calls himself a moonlighting movie maker, which is hilarious. Um, and and the author photo is one of the most you know ridiculous things you'll ever see. Um, but you know, it, it, it's sort of maybe I guess. It, proto-Randian or something. I, I, I don't oh, know. If, I, I, mean, I mean, to compare him to Ayn Rand is, is ridiculous. I mean, I don't even know if, if I can compare the philosophies necessarily, except that it's clearly driven by some weird sense of ego, which if you've seen Lady in the Water, is, is pretty clear uh, what he thinks of himself in that regard. Yeah. But uh, Gla- Glass, in, in the sense of now this trilogy of superhero films, seems like it is a culmination of that very ethos that he wrote in this book, you know. So honestly, it feels like a, a dissertation and discourse uh, about yeah. where, where where the real superhero is humanity. Oh, so, there we go. <laughs> I don't think I've spoiled the thing there. So um, anyway, that's a long way roundabout of saying I read it slant magazine and check out my not really positive review of glass very soon. <laughs> very cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Keith. Now I'm almost more interested now. Yeah. yeah. I de- well, yeah, we were, we, we, we already got our tickets in advance here. Yeah, and yeah. now we're going to, I'm prepared. We're, we're, we're ready. Yeah. It, I don't know if Josh is ever going to come at me for like going going down on Halloween. That sounded awful. Oh my god. Okay, but <laughs> nope. being negative on Halloween, but you know, Keith. <laughs> Next time, yeah, yes, darling. We 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 have our disagreements, but every time I love reading you. So yeah. that's that's just how it goes. I mean, you wrote my favorite review of Mission Impossible Fallout, which was a negative review. And it only served to clarify the reasons why I liked it. And, you know, that, that to me is more valuable writing than anyone agreeing with me. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you, you are a better man than most, Mr. Lewis. Let me tell you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Now, Keith, we mm-hmm. asked you to bring two films uh, to talk about on this show. Now, what were those two films that you ended up bringing and why did you pair them together? What's the reasoning here? 
Yes, so um, we have uh, from 1971, uh, Duel uh, by Steven Spielberg, and from 1997, Breakdown, starring Kurt Russell, directed by Jonathan Mostow, who uh, uh, you know, I-, I guess you might know from Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and... Uh, <laughs> And oh, what is it called? With Bruce surrogates, surrogates with Bruce Willis, uh, where he plays kind of a android, I think. <laughs> um, uh, Jonathan Mostow never made another great movie after Breakdown, but we can touch on all this very soon. Uh, paired them together, I guess superficially, we can say because they're both truck thrillers. Um, you know, both about uh, killer trucks or killer truck drivers, uh, you know, in, in some way, shape or form. And, and the uh, kind of suburbanite slash yuppie who uh, who has to go up against them and, and kind of regress to a, uh, I guess, a more um, prehistoric state. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I find them I find them both very interestingly complementary in that way. Additionally, and I guess this is a good point to uh, bring this particular theme up. I have a kind of highfalutin theory about these two two movies. Uh, not only did they share this narrative DNA, but Breakdown came out in 1997, uh, which was the year that Spielberg did um, The Lost World, which is the sequel to Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park being, of course, a big. A uh, movie in which CGI in 1993 was kind of like you know, a watershed moment for that, and I feel like Lost World is the moment where he kind of pretty much effectively turns his back fully on just um, I, I, I guess straight ahead live action movie making, where I think the computer, both in his movie and uh, generally in you know the Hollywood movie at large, kind of you know takes over takes very big prominence which then gets solidified i'd argue with like lord of the rings um where i think cg and and live action is mixed to a huge huge degree that then has rather epochal effects uh maybe culminating in avatar you know now now you can see how my weird mind is working (laughs) in all but uh i think it's interesting that in 97 then we get this this truck thriller from jonathan mostow i believe it does have some cg effects in it but it really mostly seems like a a work of um, you know live action and miniature stuff in the way that uh, Spielberg did, you know, in in Duel. So I feel like there's there's some kind of thesis to be written about uh, the study of uh, a, a sort of the Hollywood thriller or the genre thriller, since we're on you know Sleazoids podcast, which focuses on genre and such. Um, you know, between uh, between uh, Duel and Breakdown, and 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 what that kind of arc represents and there's probably a lot of movies you could fit into there uh that's sort so that's sort of my you know highfalutin thesis maybe we can uh, explore some of that as we talk about the films absolutely sure. yeah two films that sort of speak to each other uh maybe mm. formally uh but from very two very very different time periods yeah and you definitely see some like some references in uh in breakdown that's for sure mm-hmm. like certain things the, the way that they filmed the truck and like you know him stopping and just kind of staring at him and things like that they seem directly yes. to reference each other so all right sure. well let's let's get into it then uh, we're going to be talking duel yeah let's do it duel
All right, we are talking Duel, the 1971 uh, American TV movie. Uh, a, oh, it was a, it was a TV movie. It was a TV movie oh, I first. Uh, yes. I, uh, Keith actually. And, and, and it, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you Sorry. can go, Keith. You know, yeah, I think you were going to say something though, Josh, about something I sent you. So maybe you should do okay, that. Yeah, thought. Keith. Yeah, Keith actually yeah. sent me the original cut of the movie, and I watched both. Oh, okay. so Keith and I, so Keith and I both watched the because uh, the original TV one that aired, I think it was on ABC. Uh, it was, and it was. Um, yeah, uh, it was a movie. It was a movie of the week. Yeah, and um, I think this is the point to mention that technically, I would say there are three versions of Duel. There is the original TV movie. Uh, it should be pointed out that Steven Spielberg directed Richard Matheson, who I think many people will know is a writer of many of the best Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, penned the uh, teleplay, which is based on a short story of his. Um, and uh, yeah, the versions are basically there's a TV movie. Uh, it was shot, well, it was budgeted for 10 days. They shot in 13 days, as I'm to understand, because, uh, you know, it went a little over. Uh, ten, then 10 days for editing, and they had to. So it's like it, you can, even looking at the TV movie, which I actually just watched for the first time, like just before recording this, because I kind of wanted to have it fresh. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's an. It, it's amazing how much he packed into, you know, the shooting schedule that he had and, and, and yeah. the editorial effects that that he and uh, his crew kind of created. Um, and so, the, but again, I'm, I'm getting off the track, which is there's a TV movie. Then they expanded it for a theatrical release. They added two major scenes specifically, which now actually, as I've just looked at those two major scenes again, have a very... Stephen quality in a way because <laughs> yes, because they both because they both because they both involve children. Um, one is uh, <clears throat> uh, Dennis Weaver's character David Mann calling home to his wife, and the kids are on the on the floor, kind of playing around with toys and stuff. And you know, and and the wife is henpecky and everything, which seems very much in keeping with Stephen's uh, interestingly odd relationship with women. Um, and uh, and then uh, well, and, and also with distant fathers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and distant fathers, absolutely, and uh, and then um, there's the uh, there's a scene involving a school bus um, where uh, a bunch of kids are being and interestingly, and I would point this out, uh, uh, a, a very multicultural bunch of kids, which I don't think you would necessarily get from a lot of people. You know, uh, he, he Spielberg is always interestingly cast, um, and you know, I will quote Armand White, God help me, but uh, he, uh, <laughs> he he did very rightly point out in The Lost World um, how uh, Jeff Goldblum's daughter, who's is black, in that uh, that that is never a point that's brought up. So uh, you're kind of left to just th- yeah, it's basically just treated as completely normal she could be adopted it could be that you know maybe her mother is black and jeff goldman is white and she's mixed race you don't know and it's it's just kind of like that that sort of uh, sense that uh, that he sees the world in 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 as a multicolored place is uh, is there and uh, you know i appreciate that um it is interesting to see the um the the, the tv movie version which uh feels extremely like tense and and tight like not not an ounce of fat on it and i don't necessarily think the new scenes add fat per se 
uh, it's just interesting. You get a little bit more of, you know, the Spielberg perspective added to what I'd say is the is the Matheson perspective, which is just very honed and very focused. Uh, I should also mention that uh, the third version that I'm referring to of Duel is um, the version where when it was shown in theaters, they masked it for 178 or 185. Um, and so I think it's like the Blu-ray is 178. And it's possible, I guess, when they showed it in theaters that it was like 185. So maybe there are four versions technically but the but the, but the but the but the aspect ratio shift i mean i think they've talked about it you can see sometimes the crew in the sides of the frame and stuff which is what happens when you you know re you know jigger rejigger things like that well, when, and, yeah well, when you shoot something for a tv aspect ratio and then all of a sudden you go right. back to the 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 film and try to expand right. the, the frames and you were like oh crap i didn't mean for that to be in the frame <laughs> when i was right. filming yeah. which is why i was so happy like um there's a john carpenter tv movie someone's watching me with adrian barbeau and uh and uh and lauren hutton and um they make available both the reformatted 178 that they did just because you know that's what people do nowadays i guess because it, it, it's the new it's the new pan and scan is letterboxing things it shouldn't be letterboxed but they also make available the, the four by three square thing so you know i'd really love a package of dual down the line that kind of takes into account all these different things this is also a point where i should mention the soundtrack is kind of different as well from the TV movie to the theater, the theatrical cut and DVD. Right, because uh, we should mention uh, the reason of, it ended up getting that theatrical yeah. release is because it was such a huge smash on on yeah. television. It was a seventy Definitely minute the best television movie I've ever seen. It was it was like a seventy <laughs> oh, yeah. minute tense thriller that yeah. just captured yeah. everyone. And then they were like, "Well, shit, we should release this in was theaters." This also, and then you, and then it wasn't long enough was the problem, which is why it has uh, okay. so much additional content. Right, right. and right. was this was yeah. this his first? Uh, directorial debut for at least a feature length film. I want to say it was his second, oh, but it was okay. his first to get because he did another TV movie, but it wasn't, from what I understand, broadly recognized. Because yeah, something seen. I thought was like just uh, that spoke to me right away was seeing like Spielberg's tight uh, directing right away, like this early on. You know, yeah. what I, you can really see how oh, yeah. the action sequences yeah. and the way he would, you know, have close ups of people's faces as, you know, he's sweating as the truck driver is going towards him and things like that. Yeah, you can you yeah. can see Jaws in this movie. Like yeah. you can see the blueprints for yeah. what he would eventually turn into exactly. as a craftsman. Yeah, yeah exactly. the truck with the truck is the shark, basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, no, I, I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, I think the the really big first effort. Well, there's the short film Amblin, but then he did the Night Gallery episode with Joan Crawford, where Joan Crawford is blind. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's an amazing episode because, the, you know, he, he's doing things with the cameras as, as they were, as people say on, you know, uh, when talking about the whole behind the scenes, uh, thing of that, where or it's just like nobody had ever done anything like that before. Um, and yeah, 71, yeah, cause 71 was big for him. I'm just looking back at like some of his, uh, other, um, other efforts there. Uh, I think Duel is technically what we would say is the first like real movie, even though it began okay. as a TV movie. It was the only one that went into theaters. There's this really interesting episode of the anthology series, The Name of the Game, uh, where um, it was an alternating anthology series between several different leading men. And for this one, uh, the, the the lead of this, uh, it's I think it's called LA 2017 or something like that. And oh, shit. Uh, they, and and and, and, yeah. and, and yeah, and, and basically he, um, the, the guy who's, who's the lead in this, you know, gets thrust into a future Los Angeles that is uh, where the all of humanity has gone underground. 
uh, and uh, the environment is poisonous and stuff like that. And it's very much a proto-minority report. So uh, um, I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking that out. And I mean, uh, yeah, post-Duel, it's basically like he did this really uh, good TV movie, Something Evil, with uh, Sandy Dennis. Um, and then uh, there's a pilot for a Martin Landau series called Savage, which is like whatever. And then he goes and, and, and then he goes into Sugarland Express and Jaws and Close Encounters. And then we basically got him, you know, in uh, in, in in theaters for forever. Forever, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No matter yeah. what he makes, it's heading there. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so, any, anyway, yeah. I guess maybe let's focus on Duel. What what uh, what thoughts do you have? Questions or whatever. Yeah, well, maybe we should just establish quickly the premise for anyone who hasn't maybe seen it. Uh, yeah, but, sure. but largely it's about a, a traveling businessman played by by Dennis Weaver. I think his name's David Mann in the film. David um, Mann, M-A-N-N. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And he uh, he he kind of finds himself in a bit of a I, I'm going to say it's it's a bit of a masculine crisis, uh, <laughs> both with his yeah. particularly with with his wife who uh, sees him, I guess. I don't know what to what did it, he, it seems he's like not he a fighter. He's, I was going to say it seems he's like not he macho. avoids problems like yeah. the, the phone call that he has uh, with his with his wife. I'm pretty sure she mentions that she was sexually assaulted and he's just kind of like brushes it off like like no you weren't that kind of he didn't want any confrontation yeah he's very and i feel like this is the uh, movie in a way is kind of like the universe manifesting this (laughs) trucker from hell and he's like you know what deal with a problem now you actually have to deal with this this isn't something you can just drive away from or hang up the phone this well, trucker's out to get you. Well, yeah, yeah and, and it reduces himself to something more, again, something more a little, a little primal. Uh, yeah, some, yeah. He he, mm. he can't sort of because it, it's interesting because he has the Spielberg has the idea of the the truck as like something mechanical, mm-hmm. but it's also really dilapidated and rusty and broken down. Yeah. And while he's driving on the road, this truck. He, I think he intends to pass the truck because the truck's driving slowly. Yeah. And, and there's like smoke coming in his face. And, and, like, yeah. and he's like yeah, talking pollution. about pollution. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the first line of dialogue, I think, is, oh, it's pollution, Ugh. you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, while and, while and, he's listening and, to a radio show about a guy who is terrified that he's no longer the man of the house because he's not the breadwinner or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, he, he's, talk, he's talking about the census thing on the radio or whatever. And he's like, I, 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 I am the silent majority and everything like that, which, you know, <laughs> this, this interesting political counterpoint, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah. well, it, it's just it's very interesting that he's going through a a kind of crisis on what it kind of means to be the the head of the family or the man of the family in a in a kind of uh, a, a more modern suburban world. Yeah. And then he has a journey where he gets to kind of live out a a. Uh, I would say a reclaiming of that masculine primal energy. Yeah. Uh, Something I really yeah. like too is the it, beginning where uh, it shows just that first person perspective of him leaving his house and then just traveling. That the was city. also only in the theatrical. It wasn't. Oh, because I really liked that setup. Yeah. It was almost like showing this relaxing driving, you know, this Sunday driving. He's pulling out of the garage. He's driving the through desert, the city. Which is leading him into the hell that uh, yeah. he's about to, you know, have to face. So yeah. that was, I liked yeah, that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is the point to say that I think both versions definitely have their merits. I have to say, I really do appreciate the TV cuts stripped downness. Mm. Um, I mean, it really just feels like, despite despite the like the interlude with the snake lady and everything, uh, who actually is also a character in 1941. She she returns uh, to again be terrorized. I think this time by John Belushi. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, aside from that, and and this and the scene at the diner. Uh, 
um, and, and everything. Um, I think it's mostly just like Dennis Weaver and, and the truck. And, yeah. uh, it, and, and, and it just, and, and the, the whole family life stuff, uh, is just, uh, the only line that really refers to that on the TV cut is, uh, I, I think the gas station attendant, the first station he stops at, uh, he, he, he says something and like, uh, I don't know, like, you're, you know, you wear the pants or, or you, you're, <laughs> you, you, or something like that. And yeah. Dennis Weaver. Like oh not at my, not in my house yeah I, um, I guess Spielberg's yeah. ver- Spielberg's eventual theatrical version kind of makes a little bit more overt the subtext of the film okay uh, but yeah. the yeah. the 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 sort of meat of it in this how it sort of that those ideas kind of sort of minutely infect what is like a very very just tense thriller mm-hmm. uh, otherwise uh, is is still there especially when we get into scenes like because even even when the truck's not on screen the truck is always a, a presence in the film yeah you're even even in the it. diner scene yeah. the diner scene is actually one of my favorite scenes of the movie yeah which is yeah. it's that when he has his inner monologue and he's just like looking at yeah. each individual and trying to well, analyze and, them. and well yeah and he's having fantasies about confronting them right. and actually addressing this problem <laughs> yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah, yeah. great yeah. and 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 he the, it shows that he kind of like the truck has scared analytic. him so much too that he's also he's projecting now that that kind of energy onto yeah. all of these dudes because he sees that they're all wearing boots because we never see the truck driver which is a yeah, really you good only choice see the cowboy boots yeah you yeah. only see his boots and you see yeah. him vaguely in the frame maybe in the background kind of in the shadows in the truck like you, sure, you can yeah. see hands operating the wheel basically yeah. and that's it um yeah yeah but so it, does, you know, the, it, it is interesting that he alludes to like some human you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I would think that maybe he would just, you know, show the Tinted truck windows. Only. Yeah, and that, <laughs> but it's it's interesting that he decides to have some person in there as well. Just to give him, I guess, a sense of paranoia for the main character. Who is it? Who Who is this man that's more macho than me yeah, trying to yeah, run me off the yeah. road yeah. in this very yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, stalkery and, and, way? Yeah, because everything yeah, and, else and, and, about the truck reads it's almost just like this environmental thing, like this, yeah. you know, yeah. force of nature, even though it's... You know, a mechanical yeah. machine. No, yeah, and I mean, when the truck is ultimately vanquished, I mean, the the driver just just vanishes. He's not anywhere, right? You know, and 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 so it's just uh, it, it it does kind of become. It's very much of of the seventies uh, existential moment, I guess. You know that uh, that kind of took somewhat from uh, Euro art cinema to a degree. I, I can sense some like like Antonioni and and, and stuff in in in, in this. Uh, at the same time, uh, it also feels very much of a piece with where Hollywood was turning at the time in terms of. Well, t- really, I mean, Molly Haskell writing in from reverence to rape about how Pacino closing the door on Diane Keaton and the Godfather is, uh, you know, male Hollywood shutting out women, um, which is <laughs> which I think is fairly apt, frankly, albeit, you know, it still gave us some uh, some, some very interesting films and stuff, but uh, very much well, from, a, say, from a from a. Yeah, go on. I was going to say that Duel actually kind of reminded me a little bit of Wake and Fright, which kind of feels oh, of yeah. a similar yes. moment. Yeah, for sure. Of yes. just uh, of just a a real crisis of these because uh, I mean that's also a very uh, intentionally male dominated film where there's only I think we talked when we talked about it on the show we said that there was one woman attendant at the bar and one woman attendant at the hotel and there was the daughter of the one guy. Yeah. Otherwise, right. it was a bunch of drunken, crazy men uh, uh, yeah. satisfying yeah. their urge. Uh, sexually and violently, 
um, in a kind of drunken haze uh, purgatory. Pretty much like a hell. Yeah, yeah. and then that, and that, that, you know, he also gets reduced to a kind of primal version of himself and then is basically forced back to just going back to his teaching gig. Uh, And you're (laughs) kind of like, how does, you know, how do we reconcile these kind of base desires and like a society that clearly doesn't function, uh, you know, by letting them run amok? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you, you feel a similar kind of, I guess, you know, that was kind of an early 70s moment at the time that I guess this is just yeah. the way a lot of uh, guys were feeling at the time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you well, see that translated and, here to Duel as well. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean where, where it works best is when, you know, you sense that they're grappling with these things. And I mean, casting Dennis Weaver in this is sort of, you were talking about his inner monologue earlier. I think a lot of the reason, a lot of that dialogue is very on the nose when he's speaking to himself. And sometimes I watch it and I wonder, would this be better without it? And then I'm kind of like, but I like it because Dennis Weaver is saying it. Because Dennis Weaver is such a weird character. He, he's not you know, he's not so fully macho that you can't conceive of him having an inner life. You, you, know, he, you can conceive of him having one. And it's a it's a it's a and, and being in Dennis Weaver's head, if you've seen Touch of Evil and basically anything Dennis Weaver's ever been in is, is a is a weird fucked up place to be. He's awesome in Touch of Evil, which I believe is also the film that Spielberg saw that made him want to cast yeah. him in this. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, indeed. And it's, uh, you know, he's a, he, he's giving him a lead role. He's kind of like, he in a way he he can be an everyman i suppose but he's he's an off kilter everyman and so like even when he regresses to the primal state and 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 it's kind of like initially like at the end i think he's he's like he's running on adrenaline and he's very happy about it and then he just kind of like stops being happy and just sort of sits down completely depleted and everything well yeah and and, and, and he's like uh he's like hooting and jumping for joy like it's such a weird yeah. celebration like it's yeah. you know yeah. imagine Imagine like Arnold Schwarzenegger like doing something like that. Yeah. You know, like he's not he's not he's not a particularly macho action hero. He's not the, he, and, he's and, not and the and guy he's, that walks away and doesn't look at the explosion. Yeah, but know? he's also not quite <laughs> just average either. He's got like sure. this weird middle ground. I, yeah. I I agree with Keith entirely on that. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, v- very cool. And uh, I mean, I think uh, that because um, uh, who was who was the writer? It was Matheson, right? Richard Matheson. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's actually his because it's based off his short story, and I, I didn't know that oh, he wrote yeah. for the Twilight Zone, but that actually makes a lot more sense now having having seen this film. Yeah. And it's a pretty yeah. little ingenious idea for for a short story, uh, but also, yeah. I mean, the a huge reason I think that this works is the way that Spielberg visually conceptualizes the premise um, uh, with this with sure. this camera that constantly has this truck kind of like slightly bobbing into frame sometimes because he establishes this is uh dennis weaver's space this is the uh, and he kind of captures sort of like the autonomy and the power of the car which is also a big Mm -hmm. deal that he he's more powerful in this car and he has this really awesome like red flashy plymouth or whatever it is and he's and he's driving around and then he starts asserting himself because of the power he feels he has in the car, and then he comes across something that's that that's bigger than him and more sort of wild and unhinged and unknown. And the way that Spielberg chooses to visualize that is we, a lot of the time, most of the time, stay in the car with Weaver or just slightly outside the car, attached to the car, and it's a lot yep. of the truck kind of 
moves into the background a little bit and he kind of trains your eye to constantly be watching that background yeah. waiting for that You're truck to kind of bob in or truck. or watching the mirrors i love it when the truck just kind of just slightly moves into the mirror and he's constantly kind of framed from these from these low angles where the truck is very imposing and yeah. coming down on him and what uh, i yeah. even like about what he does with the trucker itself like you can tell that the trucker is just fucking with it <laughs> to such a, a yeah, yeah, high yeah. degree like the the scene with the kids well, the, well because that, you that, think he's yeah. gonna come to you know be menacing and then he helps the children just to fuck with him personally more it's well th- just, that's some of the genius too of matheson's writing on it too mm-hmm. because uh, it, it takes into account the the generally accepted courtesies of the road right right and that you should yeah. let this guy pass you because you're going slower and he's like no i'm gonna actually pull in front of yeah. you and then slow down intentionally in front of you and it's it's a very frustrating experience yeah, that Spielberg? leads to a kind of angry unhinged paranoia overall which honestly having seen other Spielberg movies, I don't know that there's another movie that's like as angry and unhinged and paranoid as this. I mean, paranoia would be a technique that Spielberg would use a lot in um, his thrillers that he would do later thrillers, especially like minority report and uh, war of the worlds. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, even his spy stuff like bridge of spies. Um, But I haven't seen anger and this kind of unhinged anger from him before uh, or since. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't think I have either. well, I mean, I mean, I would probably personally argue that uh, there's an anger and, and, and a paranoia in Munich. Um, oh, which, true, But kind of put to, you know, different ends, you know, I, I think, you know, where, where though, although I think what's interesting about Munich is that it is, it, on, among its many things, is that it's um, a deconstruction of uh, narrative suspense, you know, and what that means, you know, because I, I think that they're constantly because they basically they're like they're Mossad agents who are trying to, you know, bomb or kill uh, Palestinians. And, uh, you know, and, and they constantly try to make it clean and satisfying. And, and, it, and it never is that it's always messy. It's it never uh, mm-hmm. the deaths never happen on the exact beat that where, where it would be satisfying in a way like like which is what Spielberg is so good at usually just in terms of the mechanics of suspense, which, you know, like when when uh, Sheriff Brody shoots the shark or shoots the, 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 the air canister in the shark and blows it up. Um, or, uh, you know, when the T-Rex comes in in Jurassic Park right at the end, it's sort of the, you know, the, the dino ex machina, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, yeah, it's, to, it's a very to, traditionally to satisfying way to frame that kind of um, right. uh, and, and violence. And actually, that kind of goes to another larger point about the 97 Spielberg and that kind of pairing up with Breakdown. I also feel feel Lost World is the moment where he really starts to experiment because 93, he has Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, which I think are both like, you know, perfect movies, I'll put those in quotes. And whether you think that, whether you have issues with them narratively or morally, politically, otherwise, I mean, and I know lots of people do, maybe even I do to some degree, but I think just stem to stern, they are shaped and like perfectly, you know, for what they are. And then I feel like from Lost World on, he's really starting to experiment with, uh, with, with not being, perfect in that way and i think like ai is kind of the culmination of that to a degree and then that's kind of informs a lot of the later part of his career i mean it's a larger discussion but uh, you know i do think it's interesting that 97 that's the point where what he did in duel someone else is kind of like you know recapitulating that in a way which is why i picked this other movie and he's moving off in this entirely other direction so 
No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I personally really get a lot out of Lost World and specifically how it's so different from uh, the the other Jurassic Park oh, yeah. Um, in, yeah, yeah. In, in some of its set pieces. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if, if we were to uh, sort of cap off Duel a little bit, is there was there mm-hmm. anything else that any any scene maybe that particularly stood out to you? Uh, to, to me personally, yeah. Because um, for me, the, the scene that really, because uh, I mean, like we, we I'll, I'll, I mean, I guess the reason we can't get into a whole lot of it is that this is an incredibly simple film. Yeah. That yeah. That, that talking about, yeah. like, as soon as the, the back and forth with the truck begins, that is the film until the end of the film. Right. Um, where we get a bit of a, yeah. a, a climax where he eventually does take down the truck. But there's a little bit of shading that happens kind of in the middle where we're, we're outside the truck. And I, I already mentioned the diner scene because I think it's awesome where you get into his headspace where he's imagining confronting these people and you know all of these guys are wearing you know like the the denim and the and the the cowboy boots and they got the hats on and he's like any one of these guys could be that trucker and there's so much suspense and how he's like do i go and talk to this guy do i call the police do i do this and then the each one leaves one at a time and he's waiting for them to get into the truck and they get into a different truck and every time all of a sudden you know you're you're sitting there and the camera's following these guys getting into their vehicles and then you realize it's not him and immediately, like, we whip Pan back inside where he's like, oh, my God, he's still in here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. there, there, yeah. There's a lot of visual uh, ingenuity uh, that Spielberg uh, presents to this uh, that, you know, would later go on to define his career and how he would adapt other people's works. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and there's I, I, a lot of simplicity yeah. here, too. No, no, and I would say, um, in turn, because I just watched the TV movie version, like literally for the first time, I'm very familiar with the other version, just because I am a Spielbergian in, in, in many ways, as I think people who have heard me speak or read some of my writing know. Um, but um, you know, I, it was interesting watching. It was really you ask about a scene and kind of like watching the the, the shorter version. It's more like what was absent. Mm-hmm. from it that I that I was familiar with and actually how that uh, you know it, it, it's the kind of thing like a lot of people you know say Spielberg always keeps his movies are too long at a certain point and they and and he, he never knows when to end something or whatever but I feel like a lot of his additions tend uh, or a lot of his like log not loginess but just just kind of like his you know his his sense of wanting to keep you in something past the point where maybe others would say this is the natural stopping point actually leads can often lead down some productive like thematic paths and everything which is why seeing the seeing the shorter version it's interesting to see that the stuff the big stuff that's added feels very much him and kind of in a uh, whereas in the shorter version i guess like you know the the scene with the school bus where the trucker helps you know the the school bus. That's that that's that's very interesting be, because it, it it kind of adds a layer of complexity that uh, to to the villain that, <laughs> I, that 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 is not there in the TV version where it's basically just you know no there you you can basically feel like there's not even a person behind the wheel you know it's yeah, maybe it's just like it's yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's it's a force of some kind and I think that there are probably a lot of people who would say that that stripped down version is better. Because it's very it, it's very tight, it's very focused. It really doesn't feel like there's any fat. And what I would say is that Steven Spielberg, 
likes having some fat on his movies and sometimes it, and sometimes it doesn't balance them but other times i feel like it leads us down productive paths and i would actually yeah. say like the fat that's in the um it's in the 90 minute version of duel the theatrical is interesting for how it um it illuminates some of his own personal obsessions whereas i think uh you know, he was basically a hired gun on this so as brilliant as the direction is on the tv movie and as much as I think you can read some of you know his technical adeptness into things, um, he, just from that, uh, he really becomes more evident in the theatrical cut with those additions because of the family stuff. Because I mean, that's his you know his one of probably his great theme is family and its uh, and its tensions and its its uh, uh, and 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 the hope he has, I guess that. People can, you know, resolve their differences, which can sometimes come off, uh, you know, a bit uh, wish fulfilling and, and sentimental uh, in ways. But, um, yeah, again, not uh, not unproductively. But well, his, his, his parents divorce really kind of fucked him up. Yeah, he did. No, he did, yeah. he did but, a but, lot but, of movies about fathers abandoning families and what what the modern man is called to versus being called the family. And <laughs> But really, none of that family stuff is in the TV version, mm -hmm. which is interesting then because it's just like man and truck. And that's very much, I'd say, Matheson. I'm actually thinking if, if, if you haven't seen the Twilight Zone episode with Agnes Moorhead where there's no dialogue, but she's trying to, you know, she basically is trying to attack these invaders from outer space. And then the twist of the episode is that you find out that the invaders from outer space are U.S. astronauts who have landed on a planet of giants. <laughs> so, yeah, and, 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 it, and it's this amazing thing where you're just kind of kept in Agnes Moorhead's like perspective the entire time because she's just like trying to attack these things that are attacking her and they're like little action figure things but like at one point one of them sticks a knife through a keyhole and everything and it just like cuts her and she's like ah ah you know and it, it's terrifying it's absolutely fucking terrifying and then you get the little twist and stuff but you can see how he like working in the Twilight Zone 24 or 25 minute thing he pared stuff down to to the you know to to an essence and that's what's interesting you know in, in terms of scenes it's interesting what's absent in the um in, in the shorter in, in the shorter tv cut and I, I really do hope that's more widely made available just as a point of comparison because i think you can see you know uh it then gives you even a more productive entree into the uh into the theatrical cut where stuff is added that i think is very much more in, in spielberg's wheelhouse so. Mm. Well, yeah, and you can. Yeah. It kind of gives you a feel for what maybe Spielberg was envisioning on set when he was actually directing the performer, and he was being like, "Here, th this is how I envision this. Maybe this character's background right. and what he's feeling and why he's feeling these certain things as mm. this situation un is unfolding." Um, right. But I think we're going to enter the reductive rating round on this one for for you, Keith. This is the part of the show where we we remove the words and the nuance, and we, uh, <laughs> for our bookkeeping purposes. Uh, give uh give the film uh, a number between one and five or whatever rating system you'd like and we we keep it on our ongoing uh rank list that we've got going of everything that we talk about uh but okay. this section has also turned into closing statements where sometimes yeah. there are a lot of goddamn words yeah and so feel free stop to us. say you whatever can. you'd like with your with your rating uh for me this is a really really strong uh four for a lot of the reasons that we've already um uh, mentioned already, I like the constantly ratcheting tension. Uh, it, it was awesome that Keith sent me the original uh, TV version of this film because mm. basically that film is just an exercise in constantly ratcheting.
interesting. It almost never gives you any kind of relief. And when you think it does, when he gets a second, like he's walking into a diner or he gets a breath, uh, all of a sudden he fills that with all of his own paranoid feelings and thoughts. Um, So you really don't get that at all. And what we get is just a slow transformation into a more primal version of himself akin to something like Awake and Fright or, again, uh, Hills Have Eyes, which has just come Mm -hmm. up on this show so much. But (laughs) that also kind of has a similar transformation happening there of the the sort of more modern family being reduced into that. But what Spielberg adds here, or and what Matheson adds here, especially with the truck, is is, uh, um, something more sort of um, interesting about the... uh, Because I love when he gets out of the car to confront him and he's like, man on man. Man, we're finally going to duke it out. Yeah. And the truck's like, no, fuck off. Nah, we're going to do this in the truck. truck. <laughs> yeah. So there, there yeah. is something specific about these, these sort of like rigid mechanical machines that they've built mm-hmm. um, that, they're, that they're using and the power that it, it allots both him uh, in, uh, as a someone who maybe feels uh, displaced uh, in the, the scheme of, uh, of, of the modern man, um, that this, this car gives him a, a realm where he can maybe get some of that back. And we kind of see that happen at the very end where he, in the, in the big climax takes the truck down. And I love the sequence of the truck driving off the cliff and how it, yeah. uh, all of the shots when the truck is dismantled mm-hmm. at the bottom there, uh, <clears throat> it, it, it's shot like, like a sea of like, like corpses of these two cars that have kind of destroyed each oh, other. Yeah. Also, also, I feel like I just need to quickly interrupt there and say that the sound effect when the truck goes over is different in the TV cut versus the theatrical cut. Hmm. The TV cut, I believe, has the roar that actually is the Jaws roar when Jaws <laughs> gets killed. Oh, that's um, awesome. And, 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 you know, like, ooh, I, I can't do it. I mean, it, it's impossible to do it. But but it, it, it does sound like it's either down-mixed or not there in the in in the newer cut you know i mean there was also some controversy when jaws was released on i think blu-ray or something or or maybe dvd initially and i think in all of the theatrical versions now when it's dcp it's a remix soundtrack with a lot of you know uh worse sound effects and and you and you lose That's such and a you weird choice things. to do that yeah and, and and you lose some things that you that that you kind of really need in the mono and stuff uh, the mono soundtrack and such but um you know it's uh it, i i i do like the I, I I like I like I like that 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 it has a creature's primal roar. Um, in yeah, the, which which again in, would in make more part sense part. too when we get to the shot of it down below where it does look like a corpse, like it looks like right. a creature, a being of a force that he has he has taken down. It it does feel like hugely hugely powerful that he has mm. overcome like a beast yeah in yeah. like an ancient story a prehistoric yeah. story maybe something like that you know yeah um, yeah. so yeah for all yeah. those reasons. Four for me, but for you, Jamie. Uh, I'm also gonna give it a four. This was uh, this was just really cool to see early Spielberg, and I I personally haven't seen uh, that one that you were talking about, Keith, uh, Munich. So for you me, this was like his most angry Spielberg that I've ever seen. You know, it was just gritty, <laughs> lot of, you know, that rust on the. Yeah, uh, Jamie, Jamie, for for you, Keith, Jamie's uh, going through a lot of this stuff for the first yeah, time. Yeah. So okay. uh, I'm the newbie. He, he's he. So, but it's but it's a lot of fun watching a a, a new person's reaction to yeah. it because I've I've probably seen. I'm just. I, I maybe have. Have like three or four Spielberg blind spots right. at this point. That's it. I'm used to Spielberg. You know, I mean, I've seen Schindler's seen the big List, ones, but I'm also yeah. used to like E.T., you know, things like that. Minority Report. Yeah. Yeah. Just more, yeah. uh, I guess, uh, uh, big budget and bigger, larger than life stories from him. And ha- and having him do something that's so stripped down, stripped yeah. down and, and tight like this, it was it was really cool. And uh, you could definitely yeah. see his... Uh, 
you know, what he was going to do with his action later on uh, early in this yeah. film. So, and also just to say uh, what I loved uh, about the end there, the, the just the tight uh, editing with like the close-ups of his face oh, yeah. to one yeah. shot of the, mm. of the, uh, of the truck, you know, just hurtling at him and then another shot of him, you know, just sweaty and like there was a real tenseness to it. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. So I'm going to give it a four Oh, for you. Keith. My turn. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I pick both these movies and it, maybe you can predict where it's all going to land, but I got to go five. Nice. <laughs> Cause, uh, I, 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 for this one, I mean, you know, I, I, I love Steven Spielberg's movies tremendously. And I actually think, I think it's, it's, this is a quote that's often attributed to Jean-Luc Godard, where he says that a great movie becomes popular when it's misunderstood. Um, and so I feel like there's a degree to which, uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, the most popular artist in, in movies potentially ever, um, is, uh, is thought of, uh, rather restrictively, I would say. And, um, you know, uh, th- there's a great article by cin- the Cinemascope writer, Andrew Tracy, um, who y'all might know, uh, being, ca- being in Canada and such. Yep. And, um, and he, uh, he wrote about it, it re- wrote about Jaws at reverse shot and um, which is an online publication that shares some of its writers with Cinemascope. And he, um, it, it was an amazing piece on Jaws. And the only quibble I would ever say to Andrew is um, he, his first line, which is, what is there left to say about Jaws? And yeah. my <laughs> argument, and, and my argument is, yeah, depending because everybody is unique in their own ways, in their own perspectives, and it's really just how you you know express that opinion and write about it. There can always be something new to say about even the most popular movie or the most popular entertainer. Um, and um, I feel like uh, there is a degree to which you know he. Th- there, there are ways in which we have not scratched the surface of of this uh, particular artist because. Um, a he's still alive, and so we cannot see the full body of work quite yet, and well, that's and, going and to how many change things. Seem to dismiss a lot of his later work too. Right, exactly, and 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 um, and you know, I I think so. First of all, if we are if if we are able to see the full body of work at a certain point, that'll be interesting, and also well, it's um, starting with a duel and ending with Ready Player One would be pretty insane. Not that I say <laughs> that Spielberg's going to die yeah. or that Spielberg yeah. shouldn't stop making movies, but like that would be an yeah. incredibly fascinating beginning and ending to that a career. Definitely would be, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it absolutely would be, and 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 but you know, I mean, it'll it'll go on as long as it goes on, but it's just like I, I feel like well, what's he making now you know, West Side Story that's what he's making right West Side, now West Side, West Side Story I believe is the next one I'd yeah, love so that to should see be what a yeah. musical um, looks like yeah so, so, so yeah I mean it's uh, you know this is this is in many ways a, you know a Rosetta Stone of his career you know and, and it's actually now I see even more so considering the varying versions of it um, and uh, so I mean that's why I would go as high as it is, and I feel like even you know d- beyond all the the pleasures that you get, the very b- the very basic, very uh, you know inspired way that he can just you know as as Hitchcock would do, and I think say play the audience like a piano or or, or, or whatever. I think that's the quote that uh, that uh, you know. I think there's. There's a there's a lot there's a lot here in just the way he can com- the way he communicates information in what I call the Spielberg shorthand, 
you know, it, it's just like it's it, it, when you see it, you just know it, and it's so it's so uncanny and so mysterious. And I and I and I look at it, and I'm like, I don't know how you do it, but it's this very mystery of how you. You, you you make this you know, you express yourself in this way that I just kind of going to keep studying, you know, beyond all the oh he just makes these these crowd pleasing movies. You know, I don't think anyone sticks around as long as he does at this point, and 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 there's nothing there worth studying. I would yeah. even argue yeah. just I, get I, the shot. Just the kids <laughs> are going to like it. Uh, no, and I would even argue about this with. I would even argue this for someone who I'm not fond of, as I think Josh probably knows. I can't stand Christopher Nolan, and uh, and yet I, I I would say I think there's a lot there to unpack. Though uh, I I would I would cede that to someone who's uh, interested in into the interested in the task, which I am not. So oh, I, uh, I am. I'll take up that mantle. I, I I'm going to do a whole book on Interstellar at some point about how 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 this the, this inhuman mathematician wants to like solve the love <laughs> yeah. so, so, so there you go so yeah basically so, so, so basically summing up five from me uh i think awesome. it's i think it's um you know i think it's a, it's a rosetta stone to his career and uh you know a, a fascinating uh fascinating movie in that regard so among many others well i would agree and i think that's gonna wrap it up for duel on this one but we're gonna be right back and we're gonna be hmm. talking about uh breakdown yeah, let's watch uh, kurt russell and some khakis yeah. Let's do this. You the fella looking for his wife? I saw what happened. We're gonna be watching you. When do I see my wife? So the judge should start walking. Get down on the ground! Oh, he's just one in on it. Russell. You better pray. She's alive. Breakdown. All right, we're back and we are talking Breakdown, the uh, 1997, uh, also an American uh, road thriller. This one directed by Jonathan Mostow. Um, also involves a bit of a, as, as Keith mentioned at the top of the show, a, a sort of superficial um, uh, relationship to Duel in that it's also uh, a California-set desert uh, truck thriller where there's a, a, a truck driver who uh, has some, some, we'll say, some, some ominous plans for our uh, yeah. suburban dad hero. Actually, I don't know if he has a yeah. kid. I don't think he does. The truck driver? So, no, the... Uh, yeah, the- Kurt Russell and his wife. No, he he just has a wife. Yeah, yeah he needs but, his wife. But, he needs but, his wife. But it's on the way because you know we we see him in his jeep, we see him in his sunglasses and his khakis. Kids are next. Yeah, that's that's how yeah. it goes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's yes, the order. Yes. He cut his metal hair, yes. got some khakis. Kids are up next. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Kurt Russell definitely looking like a snack in this one. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah, all I'm going to say about that. Polo shirt. Yeah. Oh. 90s Kurt Russell did it for me. Oh, I don't yeah. know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He, he did it for me, too, baby. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, all, uh, I found the um, that the, the the similarity of location very similar right off the bat. Because oh, I watched yeah. Duel and Breakdown, basically one right after the other one. and um, Just get that, you know, that, that, vis- that orange kind of, that feel that just gives off heat. Yeah, you know, that, that heat. But what's interesting is this one opens with, like, some really, like, ominous drums. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah. and uh, yeah. 
Um, yes. He's riding around in his his nice Jeep. He's got the leather. He's got the AC. He's got the CD player, which the <laughs> you know the uh, the the truck drivers uh, kind of are, are a little a little salty about the, um, the very nine the very nineties cell phone. Yeah, yes. which, which the biggest thing you've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which they're which they're which they're out of range and and they can't use. Um, I, I should also mention that uh, the the film was shot in in varying locations. I don't think it's ever necessarily specified where he specifically is. Um, mm. There are several California locations, but they also shot in uh, in Utah. I'm seeing in Arizona and Nevada. Oh, interesting. Um, so, so just lots so, of so, places so, where there's heat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so so I'd say it's it's kind dirt. of more a. Uh, it, what I think of it is, is it's kind of like a, a paranoid yuppie view of uh, flyover country. Um, right. Well, it definitely <laughs> starts off that way, especially when we get into because it, it kind of opens. And I was watching this for the first time. I was kind of flabbergasted by the overall structure of the film. I actually, yeah, I actually had to the go first back. It's like a mystery. Well, instead. yeah, and and it opens, I and I was and I was thriller. like, okay, so we got like a little bit of the the yuppie versus the locals, like a deliverance, like a exploitation style thing happening right. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where they're, I'll be right with you, cowboy. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> exactly. the, the woman in the diner who's like, looks like she ran out on you, cowboy. I love her yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, this, this this upper middle class like jeep driving couple that they have a run in with the locals, and that's gonna uh, you know turn into turn into horror as the wife gets kidnapped by a truck driver, a seemingly nice truck driver who you know helps him when his car breaks down, which is I assume where the title comes from. Played, played played by the 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 great great JT Walsh who yes. is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, He's I, uh, I, I I also would like to make note of um, the title and what I think it means and, and especially you know you're talking about you know, the the kind of tribal drums of the Basil Polidorus score, um, which there's a whole other score that apparently he wrote for this that is on CD somewhere, but I think they kind of took out a lot of it and uh, it's I think it's very effective just you know in, in sort of its spare sparer version, but there's the kind of tribal the, the kind of tribal beat of the drums and and the way the title kind of like flashes over the the image of the map coming together and stuff it feels like it's a heartbeat almost you know that's kind of and as it's coming towards you and it absorbs you into it I, I, I've said to people that I feel like this movie the, the title is yes it literally describes a car breaking down but it also describes what I think it wants to induce in its audience which is yeah. a, a, a complete physical emotional collapse um, which I also think is what Kurt Russell's character goes through and uh to, to no uncertain ends. So, well, yeah, I would say um, that that's how it more sort of emotionally fits in with Duel, where you see again these people being stripped down. Yeah. You see these people who have kind of like these 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 kind of like outer surface layers that all these locals are making fun of him for about his leather seats, and and I, I think he has a great line where he's just like, "Oh man, I, you know, I, I all I really need is that truck. I bet you that truck does good for you." And the local looks back yeah. and he's just like, it, "Why would you it, want it, that it, piece of shit when you <laughs> got this, man?" Like, what the I, 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 you're gonna make me do every line. That's MC Ganey, who uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, who who you might know. Uh, he he he's he's unfortunate. He's the unfortunate uh, full frontal. Uh, uh, guy in uh, in the Descendants by Alexander Payne. He's chasing after George Clooney. I think at one point uh, was it the Descent? No, it's not the Descendants. I'm sorry. It's um, sideways. It's about Schmidt. It's about oh. Schmidt. It, no, it's sideways. Sideways. It's sideways. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm I was gonna say. I, I was like, I I, re yeah. I recognize yeah. that scene that yeah. you're describing, but I don't yeah. think it's either it, of those it's movies. It's sideways. 
It's sideways. I'm mixing up Alexander Payne, but yeah, it's sideways where he like r- runs out after I think it's Thomas Hayden Church and Paul Giamatti together, and he's like full frontal on that. And <laughs> this is this this is it. This is in his thinner days. Uh, yes, yeah. when. He, and, and, and I, yeah, I, I love that line. Like, why would why would you want a pe- why would you want a piece of shit like that when you got a ride like this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> he's he's so. And then later, when when, when he's like, you should you should have got the bumper sticker that went along with that car. Rich assholes looking for trouble. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very exploitation. He just he just plays that to the hilt. So I, I love that about yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Well, and and I'd say. Uh, pretty much the first half of this film kind of, you know, that, that triggers a certain kind of paranoia in, in him. Uh, and, and the first half of the film kind of milks that for what you would think would be just the exploitation <coughs> horror, like a Hills Have Eyes type thing or right. a Deliverance type thing where you get like, you know, the, these, these, these yuppies are, are very terrified that they are going to be, uh, you know, attacked by these, these more, again, a lot of time established as, as a more animalistic type of person who, who right. is, is, is used to surviving with, uh, we'll say less means. Yeah. Uh, and, yes. uh, but around the time that his, his wife, uh, gets kidnapped by the truck driver cause their Jeep breaks down on the side of the road and a, a, a truck driver comes out and kind of helps him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take you both in my truck and I'll take you to the next stop and you can call someone and we'll, we'll get you all figured out. And he doesn't want to do that because you he's know, a man. Well, yeah, he's like, <laughs> I can, I can figure it out. And also it's a, it's, it's a new car and uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. need this guy's help. And also that, uh, interaction at the, uh, gas station doesn't really necessarily make him want to, to trust to, the locals, to, to yeah. trust anyone. So, uh, he, he lets his wife go though. Uh, to go and get help and then he's going to wait there and then he finds out that the the cables have just been sort of like pulled under the bottom of his yeah. car and that they, they intentionally uh, uh, messed with his vehicle so that that would happen um, and then he, he gets it working and he drives on over to the the i think it's a diner it's the 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 a few miles bell's away diner. yeah mm. bell's diner where the uh the, <laughs> the truck driver's taking his wife and there's a lot of unhelpful locals who are like didn't see her and again there's yeah. that the the paranoia kind of seeps into it where he's like did they see her and they're just pretending that they didn't see her or like yeah. what is that distrust which i actually we we didn't mention it in uh duel but there's that scene where uh he is getting the radiator hose looked at and he says oh, you should yeah. get it replaced and then he doesn't and then the, at the yeah. end of the movie it's literally a problem for yeah. him that he doesn't yeah. so it's yes. kind of that distrust of the locals even the people that are trying to help you uh, that leads them into more problematic <coughs> issues you know so it's yeah. it's interesting well because way. there's a certain level of condescension and then a yeah. certain level of of, like of genuine better. of genuine uh, fear and paranoia right. which as the film unfolds we find out is is slightly justified by uh, JT Walsh, who plays, uh, of course, he plays a guy named Red. Uh, and <laughs> Red Bar. Yeah, exactly. And the, we'll say the depth of his scheme uh, is much more complicated than I actually anticipated when the movie got started. <laughs> yeah. uh, and gets really, really fascinating around the time that uh, Kurt Russell gets ran off the road and into a river with his Jeep. And yeah, uh, talk yeah. about yeah. sort of like the more primal, natural world uh, sort of g- making its way into the film when it literally sucks up his Jeep. Yeah, uh, just, it's <laughs> moving along, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. 
No, it's um, and, and also I guess we're going to have to mention the ninety thousand donuts, uh, you know, uh, little uh, little clue that uh, where, where he's able to uh, understand what his wife told them they had in their account, um, you know, so, so that so that they can confirm the amount of money that he can try to get, even though they're 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 very much uh, down on their luck and don't have that amount of money. But it's like uh, you know, they they have this connection that kind of keeps him keeps him safe and keeps him alive and such. And, uh, it's, uh, and I feel, you know, I really like Kathleen Quinlan in this movie just because she has to do a lot with a little. And, um, you know, she's, she, I think she establishes, uh, this nice rapport with him at the beginning that has some underlying tension. And then, uh, you know, she's gone for most of the movie until the end. And I, I kind of, I, I kind of use this, um, this term that's, uh, I forget. Uh, I think it's Stanley Cavell, maybe is is the film theorist who talks about comedies of remarriage, um, and 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 he ta- and he talks about like the thirties uh, comedies, romantic comedies uh, that uh, where, where where it's like you know people are these people these romantic partners who are at odds and kind of like come to this reconciliatory thing in some way at the end. I'm probably not describing it fully as it's supposed to be, but I kind of look at breakdown as a sort of tragedy of remarriage. Um, where, you know, he loses his spouse and then they come back together. And the fact that she is the one who executes the final coup de grace. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Is, such uh, a badass it, moment. It, yeah, that moment yeah, yeah, shocked it, me to my core. I yeah. had to watch it again. I was like, did that yeah. Who did that happen? I was yeah, like, oh, She oh, does yeah. it with like, uh, you're fucking she, yeah. right, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there, there's some hatred yeah, in those yeah. eyes. <laughs> No, and then that's what's interesting, though, because I call it a tragedy of remarriage, though, because I think, you know, I, I do believe this movie gives you that that sort of primal, like, you know, uh, um, uh, sense of fulfillment yeah. that, uh, you know, um, and, and, and yet uh, what I love about where it ultimately goes is that they, too, like David Mann and Duel, are, you know, they sit down depleted at the end. And I don't think that, you know, they have their coup de grace moment and everything, but it's like they sort of sit there in this, well, what do we do now kind of thing in much the same way that I think David Mann does just kind of sitting down and like throwing rocks, you know, off the cliff. Like they've ceased to be human, I think, is is how I feel it. And I'm so glad that they decided to, Mosto and, and his producers decided to cut the original ending, apparently, which I believe was shot, where, um, you know, it, 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 they, the whole stuff with the truck happens, they're on the bridge, then, like, cops come around or whatever and uh, check on them or something, and then oh, they yeah, start... that would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start, no, and then they start walking off, and then the wife turns to Kurt Russell and is like, next time we fly, you know, it's just like... <laughs> No, I would no. like no. I that's not real. It. They didn't shoot that. <laughs> to be no. honest, to be honest, the joke. Like I would have liked the joke because yeah. it's just so stupid after all that shit that goes down. But yeah, that would have ruined it <laughs> completely. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, what I love about it is that basically they are you know, because when you are reduced to it's a primal state, you're just running. If if you're just running on adrenaline, if you're just running on instinct, you know, it's just like you do these things that really are outside. I guess what you might do is in whatever your 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 personal class or or, or or you know economic status or whatever it is you know, would dictate that you do. And if you and if you breach that, if you breach that like you know to to an like a very insane and intense degree, I think you 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 cede some aspect of your your humanity, you know. And it's just like and and so I kind of you know as much as there are heroes and villains in this piece, I really love that the last beat of it, and also the way that. Uh, J.T. Walsh's character, his kind of 
you know, life is revealed in dribs and drabs until you get this, until you realize that he's actually a family man, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and that kind of, I think really complicates a lot of things as well. And, uh, you know, my, 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 as much as my sympathies are very much on the, you know, I think on the standard narrative track to a large degree in this movie, I also think there's ways in which they shift sometimes. And it's just kind of like, well, these goddamn yuppies just came in and like upended his entire operation and, and, and revealed him to his family. And now his family's fucked. Oh, poor <laughs> J.T. Walsh. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just like, you know, like, like J.T. Walsh is so good at playing the villain in a, I, I, what, what, what's, you know, it, it's not, he, I, I believe him as a person. You know, and even yeah. and I love I mean, one of my favorite moments is when he's about to give the villain speech and Kurt Russell is just like, you fucking kicks him in the face. <laughs> you know, and, he, and, he, and it just like he stops him in his in his tracks. It's like every time you think you're going to get like the big kind of like villain moment or whatever, it it, it kind of, you know, it it it, 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 it is subs- it is subsumed by, you know, this instinctual and violence and and that is very satisfying i have to say yeah or, or it's I, undermined like, right by like the reveal of his family that you mentioned where it's kind of like there's 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 some shading to him yeah that and there's such a darkness to having like he's has boxes and boxes of of people's belongings he's been doing this for years obviously yeah. and then yeah. just the thought that he also has a child that sh- that loves him in fact, <laughs> he holds a gun up to Kurt Russell. Uh, Kurt Russell for his father, you know, like, so they have a loving family, at least in the sense of, <laughs> you know, they, they care for each other. But then to have this element of what he's been doing, obviously, for years, and they don't even know about it, it does really complicate his character because you have something that's like, he's, he's obviously able to have yeah. a family that's loving or whatever, but then on mm-hmm. this other side, he's killing people by the well, hundreds. Well, and it's awesome because as as, yeah. an, as an audience member, you see the kid come with a gun, and you're like, "Oh no, that's just a kid!" Like, yeah, and, he doesn't and, know and, any and, better. And then yeah. we also, you also immediately project innocence onto the the mom as well. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. the the confrontation. And then she screams, happens. "Do it!" Yeah, and then the mom, <laughs> yeah. when the mom like lets out like this bellowing, "Do it!" Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, for I sure. Know. And I mean, I guess I, I mean, in fairness I mean, to her, a guy came into a gun and threatened her uh, yeah, family honestly, and everything. Yeah. For her, from her perspective, yeah. I totally understand. But at it, the same time, it wasn't, I get what you're saying. it wasn't exactly what I expected from, from the mom her, in that situation. And I mean, let me, let, me, let me give a little background to my history with this film, because I saw it in first run in 1997. That's how fucking old I am. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it, 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 like, it captivated me right away. But this is the movie that, um, you know, I... I, I it was the movie I had seen the most times in a theater in the same day. I went like twice to see it like later in its run. I actually, I saw it in the morning and then some friends who hadn't seen it. And I was like, Oh, you haven't seen it yet. Let's go again. And actually that last viewing in the theater was the best viewing I'd had of it because we were in a theater that had, you know, packed house, insanely good sound and just like so everything of that of that finale where the truck is hanging off the fucking bridge and stuff. Which we is were just, just like, a bonkers we, finale. Yeah, it's we, awesome. We were, we were just like climbing in our seats, like, oh my God. But I tell you, every time I have seen this with like a larger audience, when the from the minute the kid comes in with the shotgun to the end, it's just like everybody is just like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they don't, and, and you, you could, I, I remember, I think it was like at that fourth screening that I saw it in 1997, there was some guy who was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, and I was just like, yes. Yes, the kid is like the kid just comes in with his shotgun and you don't expect that that's going to happen. And yet it makes perfect sense that he would do that, you know, and it's just like, yeah. So, I mean, when I say 
about the title, like induce a breakdown. I mean, I think this film builds in a certain way and you think it's one thing. It kind of switches and it becomes this, this slightly other thing. I mean, I know Siskel and Ebert criticized it for not being the original vanishing, which was a, a Dutch thriller where like a, a woman gets kidnapped as well. And Great the movie. husband goes, goes, goes to find, goes to find out what happened to her. And, and in the European version of the film, because the director also did an American version where it's changed around as to what happens at the end. But basically, uh, he, he never finds his wife, uh, he j but he does learn what happened to her because the killer like buried her alive. And uh, so he buries the guy alive. And so, yeah, he finds out what happened, but he dies. You know, it's like... It's yeah, so, like, like, like it's basically so to get closure on that mystery, he has to die. In order to find to out because yeah. he gets killed in the exact same way that she got killed. And wow. that's how he figures it out. It's an, it's a really, really great film, but I think Ebert and Siskel are way off on this one. Cause I, I actually did go reading reviews because after I watched, by the time we get to the halfway point of this film and it turns into a little bit of a heist actioner where they make him go into his bank and try to like pull out yeah. grand. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. and then, and then you get a lot of like, um, you know, from that point on the movie is kind of like layers of scheming and, 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 uh, kind of like almost like, uh, a little bit of mm -hmm. like that double crossing that you get in heist mm -hmm. where like he's faking how much money he has with the guy. Yeah. He's like, these are yeah. all singles and he's like flipping out. And then, and then you get, you know, full out full blown, like action revenge movie where he's climbing along the bottom of the truck and riding the side of the truck. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you get, oh, and, to, and, that, and that's where, like and that's where you see a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where you see a kid. Be, that's a great little gag when he's climbing under the bottom of the truck and it's just like this car drives by and there's this kid looking out the window, just at him like, what the fuck is, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And it's like, I guess that's sort of the Spielberg moment of there's a kid and stuff. And it's just like, the kid is like, huh? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a great little Yeah. Moment. But then yeah. it transitioned in, into like that, a little bit of, again, back into horror in like a vaguely home invasion type thing where he's the one breaking yeah. into the house and interrupting the yeah. family and all of this. Uh, yeah. And as it went kind of like on and on and on, I was kind of like blown away as it transitioned every single time yeah, I mean, all yeah. the way until its, its end point, too. which you talked about the big ending. And uh, so I, I, I had to read about the film when I when I kind of saw about all this. And the most prominent review I found was Ebert's, um, which had him yeah. recommend, you know, that it was a really tight, entertaining thriller. Mm. But he had a big thing at the end of it where he basically went off on the the, the closing moments of the film that it involves a yeah. situation where the villain is, you know, already powerless and the, uh, you know, the, the they, they kill him anyway, basically not in any kind of self-defense out of anger. And uh, he, he says, I noticed interestingly that no one in the audience cheered when that final death took place. I felt a kind of collective wince. Maybe that indicates we still have an underlying decency that rejects eye for an eye values of this film. Breakdown is a fine thriller, but its ending is, is unworthy. Like he's, and basically he's, he's decrying yeah. that it's like, it's an immoral act. And instead of questioning right. the fact that the movie agrees with him yeah, and wants yeah. to say that that's where these people have been pushed to yep. and that that moment yeah. is supposed to make you kind of feel and uncomfortable about what otherwise would have been a traditional revenge action ending. It, 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 instead, he goes, people are just more decent and not that the film was meant to make them uncomfortable in any kind of way, which kind of just blew my mind when I read that because I couldn't disagree more with a take. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's that constant. We have that argument, all the, not argument, but that discussion all the time where it's kind of like just because a movie has something in it 
doesn't mean that it advocates for that idea. Well, no, and, 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 and especially when idea, he's being like the, the movie made the audience feel uncomfortable and he registered that. And I was like, yeah. he just doesn't understand. Like that was d- it didn't occur to him that that might be the, in, the intent yeah. after that, that yeah. big ending climax, which, which for me in particular, yeah. I thought that the, the ending was, was completely awesome. Cause when you get that action scene of all of these cars, driving side by side and you get almost like what felt to me like a like a a mad max style like confrontation between yeah. the you know the locals yeah. the locals and him and he's been reduced to this revenge action hero at this point but then it's just screaming metal and smashing into each other and then the trucks hanging off the side and it's almost abstract in how it's been cut together in this way yeah. uh, when yeah. they're when it's just like the tires spinning and the the engines you know pushing over the edge of the bridge and it's just like close-ups on their eyes and their sweat while they're, you know, duking it out. And it's this very satisfying, um, you know, revenge story. And then obviously it ends that with just this sudden like point of no return darkness that you don't expect. (laughs) And then it leaves you with that. It's just like, because the wife, because the wife doing that, I mean, you understand exactly why she would do that, having been on the receiving end of what she received. But I mean, you know, there is in that moment a kind of like, I, I feel like an implicit moral choice to be made there. And she decides to do the thing of like, yeah, well, honey, we're, we're killing this motherfucker. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, he, he's and, not going to kidnap and, anybody else. He put me I in a freezer, goddammit. Look, I, I mean, I will tell you this. I cheer... Well, I do cheer, but I don't necessarily. I don't cheer J.T. Walsh's death. I cheer just the 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 pure sense of like utter satisfaction in in just the technique of 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 of, of, of kind of the truck used as sort of a punctuation mark on this entire thing. Yeah, quite, just, quite, just yeah. like, quite, quite literally as, as she, uh, as, as, yeah. As, yeah. That no, like, as she, she pulls the lever, he's <laughs> sitting on the rock below yeah. the bridge and the truck just smushes yeah, right but, onto the rock, crushes no, and, him. And, and, and yeah. And, it, and I, I, I mean, I love, I love the sound design of it. You know, yes. how there's that, that, that beat that there's that kind of extended beat of silence, how it kind of is just focused on Kurt Russell looking shocked, you know, which I think is just like, he's not looking at it as like, you know, oh, thank you. Know, thank God he's dead or something. It's kind of like he can't believe what he's seeing. And then when His they hug each other, badass. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and then when they hug each other, it's kind of it's kind of like he's looking at her like he can't believe what just happened. And then they yeah. sit down and what I in what I in what I, uh, you know, I, I always like it. Maybe this is my lapsed Catholicism coming into, but I love the Pieta kind of pose when you know when it was like you know he's the Virgin Mary the holding, side, like holding Christ or something, and it just like. <laughs> You know, I don't really read love into how they're holding each other. You know, I, I, I it just they just seem like these inhuman shells. Yeah, it feels you know, more like relief that it's over, but they do feel like uh, there's some emptiness. They there, did for some sure. shit for sure. Yeah, yeah. and they, they, and they, and they places, saw some things. They went to places they didn't want to personally go. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I mean honestly, I you know I, I think to some degree that that is illustrative of of shall we say a a middle class yuppie fear. You know, of uh, you know, of of not wanting to be of not wanting to be pushed to anything extreme, um, and if not, and really of of when you are, and I'm not necessarily saying that you necessarily will be, but that if some if you find yourself in some situation where you are pushed to an extreme, it can it can so fully take your humanity that you never recover. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's kind of like another. You know, it's another kind of existential thing you know, after Duel, although Duel is Duel is in a vein of like, you know, a 70s American cinema that's different from a 90s American cinema. 
uh, which, uh, you know, even uh, you know, now it's interesting how people are reclaiming a lot of 90s American cinema, especially like the erotic thrillers and other things from that era, which are really trashy. And, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we already did Basic Instinct I, on the show. Danny yeah. Bowes brought Basic yeah. Instinct on. So we're we're all we're, we're responsible a little bit in part. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I mean, and I mean, that's no, it's fine. It, it, you know, every, and, you know, I know a lot of people who I think are probably more on Ebert's side of breakdown than I am. I mean, actually, this is probably the point at which I say maybe, Josh, you knew this but i actually put breakdown on my on my my best of all time sight and sound ballot list i did Uh, not know that (laughs) it was it it was my 1990s choice did you get any pushback on that one Uh, actually, I think people because I paired it with things like Spies by Fritz Lang and Lodge Door by Louis Benwell and The Young Girls of Rochefort by uh, Jacques Demy and Certified Copy by Abbas Kiarostami. So it's just kind of like I'm you know, I'm looking at all this and I'm like, I want a genre piece here. And what's the one that's given me like all this pleasure, you know, forever and ever? And I mean, on one level, there would be The X-Files, which, you know, is my is my ultimate, you know, one of my great works of art of all time. But, you know, that, that it was just kind of like, no, I, 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 I break down as the film like. That that and and this is where I got into the and I can see how it's actually kind of related to Spielbergian aesthetics, which I think reshaped Hollywood uh, to you know, to a major degree. Uh, positive, maybe more negatively than positively, because he's one of those artists like Quentin Tarantino is also who you know what they do is so unique to them, and yet it became the dominant mode. And basically, everyone who's trying to do what they do. It are imitators they can't capture you know the the, the intangible thing that makes them them did you and watch yet, bad times it, at el royale too i did not i did not watch I bad times that, yeah. i will, I, I will but, say that i i didn't hate it but i sat there the whole time going why would i want to watch this over a tarantino movie the entire time uh, okay it was just that yeah, kind it's, of it's such an homage that it's just kind of like it's it's it's, not it's, doing be, it's beyond indiv- that it's not it's doing just, anything yeah. individual like at all well no there's you, you just realize how little character Original. there is inherent in the style that they choose that okay. they don't infuse themselves and you're kind of like yeah. uh, okay again yeah Im- imitation is the is the right word yeah so, so i guess this is where it comes in is that it, there is a degree to which breakdown is derivative of a certain kind of filmmaking i suppose that became the dominant mode at the same time i also feel and i think the reason i feel like it's it's unique is that feels to me in some way like an epitaph uh, or a requiem for, for that kind of mode of filmmaking as well, in a large degree because um, I, you know, I can't detect any CG effects in the movie. I don't really know where they are. I know they're listed in the credits, but it might just be, you know, backgrounds or erasing certain things or whatever. But, you know, this feels Sparks very... Sparks of the like, steel or something, steel yeah. on steel. Yeah, or, or, or something, but, you know, the explosions seem real. Uh, I know the truck hanging on the bridge, some of that is miniature, but, you know, I really love good miniature work, and I think that's mm-hmm. excellent miniature work in large part, too, because of the sound design, because, uh, you know, of the beats of when the, the crunch of the metal comes and everything, and that there's silence in between, which allows you to, you know, kind of register things more rather than it's just cacophonous sound all the time or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, also, if you just see where Mostow went subsequently, and I don't mind some of his later movies, like, I, I, I like that... 
I, I basically like the Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines is like Buster Keaton's college and that it's just a comedy for most of its run and then and then it's like and then it's the bleakest ending you could possibly imagine <laughs> <laughs> because in because in college it's like you know it, it, uh, Buster Keaton like goes through the, goes through like a romance and all these other slapstick scenes and then he gets the girl at the end but then the ending is that they you see them advance in age to marriage to uh, to having kids who are irritating them to old age where they don't really seem like they're communicating anymore to the last shot which is their gravestones next to each other and the music going dun 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 and it's and it's all it's all like in this montage that actually funny enough if you haven't done Zardoz on your podcast yet the ending of Zardoz is exactly what college is just with Sean Connery and I think Charlotte Rampling so I mean it's amazing it's it's amazing to me to kind of you that that you know, to watch kind of Mostel's later career and th- where, where the CG stuff that is really part of the Hollywood machine now. Uh, and Josh, I think you were the one who, who posted the image from Avengers Infinity War of Mark Ruffalo's head within the gigantic <laughs> Iron Man. So bad. <laughs> and like, this is, this is an image from, from a Hollywood film in 2018 or whatever the fuck it is. And I'm just yeah, like, it was, yeah. it was the highest grossing movie <laughs> yeah. of the year and, I, like, and, the, and, the, and the most expensive. And I was yeah. like, really, this is like what this we, what you got? This is just what we accept as like good, Lit- popular I, filmmaking. I now. recently had to rewatch Triple uh, X: State of the Union because yeah. it's a rewatch <laughs> on my list, and uh, yeah, it was bad. And the CGI legitimately looked like that scene in yeah. Avengers, and that was with Ice Cube, uh, <laughs> the sequel to Triple X. So, need I say more? It was yeah. it was bad to compare you know, those two. <laughs> and you know, this is this is not this is not me railing against CG either. I think there are way you know the thing of the thing of CG is that I think most you know you really probably should not go for photorealism with it. You should go with for it with like an expressive unrealness. You know, that's what's interesting about it is that it is unreal. There is a weightlessness to it, and how do you like incorporate that into uh, you know photography of something real? You know, and I think that's that's an interesting you know thing in and of itself. Albeit again, when it becomes a dominant mode, you're pretty much assured that you're going to get a lot of bad iterations of it. And um, you know, I think ultimately, like like Mosto actually, his most recent film, I think, was a and I and not this is not a CG issue, but it's it's kind of like a, a, a it's just another thriller, although this time with uh, Sam Worthington. Oh yeah, no, um, I, I think I heard about that one. Is, yeah. that, is that the Hunter's Prayer one? The Hunter's Prayer, right. And actually, there is a similar child comes in with a weapon gag that was like in breakdown and it doesn't work at all. And uh, it's just kind of sad now. I just feel like, I, you know, it, I, you can see some of Mosto's talent for just staging action. But yeah. and I think he I think he does have an eye for that. But, you know, I just think um, whatever thematic stuff is in Breakdown, I think, comes a little more from just the circumstances. I, not to say Mosto didn't have anything. I just, didn't have any effect on that. I just don't feel like. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that there's much, you know, going on like internally in terms of meaning for him that he wants to express beyond just creating, you know, something entertaining. So I feel like, but I feel like the moment of this movie, the performance of Kurt Russell, who I just think is, you know, the perfect kind of person for this, and the fact Definitely. that he did this, the the fact that he did this the year after Escape from L.A., where he played Snake Plissken again, is very interesting. You can see the dichotomy of like that, and I think in '97 or maybe. Was ninety eight. His next one was going to be like Soldier. Which yeah, is, yeah. The Paul Thomas, uh, not Paul, Paul, Paul Thomas Paul Anderson, Paul W S Anderson. Anderson. Oh, yeah. Very different film. Very different. 
several say. filmmakers, yes. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, but I've seen you, Soldier. It's pretty funny. Yeah, you just you you just get a sense of like his range and what he can do to that. And I think him playing the guppy. You know, you're talking about his khaki pants, and I'm laughing because you know, I mean. He wears it convincingly, but it's like you could tell you could tell how the clothes are informing the character, and how yeah. and how then ultimately as a result, you know, it, it, you know, it's a suit of armor to one degree, and then it has to get torn and tattered and bloodied, and he just becomes he becomes primal. And Kurt Russell is very good at that kind of primal stuff, as as oh, yeah. I think he's very, as as I think he's very good at kind of like being a guy who's like. Well, I don't want to do the primal stuff, and I actually feel like he was trying to stretch a little bit with that. And this, I think he does it really beautifully. And uh, yeah, and then ultimately, uh, where he, where it ends is he's just who is he? I don't think he's human anymore. I don't think I don't think he and his wife are human anymore because they made certain choices. You can say to some degree that they were pushed to that. At the same time, I think you can also read it as like you know they fucked up these people's life. Admittedly, these people are killers, but they had a thing going. And, 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 <laughs> They had a thing going. That's a good JT way of Walsh, saying it. And, and, and JT and JT Walsh was supporting it. JT Walsh was supporting his family. Yeah, he, well, and, yeah. and, and he was helping his buddies just, out. He was giving his buddies yeah, jobs. Jobs. Yeah. This guy's making jobs. This guy's making the economy he's, he's, happen, man. He's, yeah, that's he's, hilarious. He's, he's, he's making jobs. So it's just like I mean, and so, but but I mean, you know, think about like you know that kind of futzing with your identification with who is the hero here and how this movie kind of plays with that. It gives you what it gives you what you want it gives you good guys bad guys but it also gives you other things that i think are there maybe if that's not necessarily coming from Mosto, it's certainly coming from the performances and i think you know you know casting jt walsh is a key factor of that as i think casting kurt russell is i think they're they're perfectly matched in that way i mean i mean and then there are like all these other character actors who kind of pop up like rex lynn is the sheriff i think and i forget the name of the guy who's in uh, who owns the diner but uh uh you know who has the gun behind uh, you know i don't have to show you jack shit and all that but yeah, yeah i've yeah. seen I think I think he was like uh, he was on uh, the the series Rescue Me with Dennis Leary for a while, and you know he's kind of a jobbing character actor and stuff. And so there's, there's a lot of what people call that guys, you know, in this. And, oh yeah, uh, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, exactly. I know that face. <laughs> yeah, or, or like you know, or I also like Jack Noseworthy, a great name. Who who is the who is uh, Billy? You know, he first seems like he's the redneck out of Deliverance and stuff. And, he, and what you realize ultimately is that he's playing on Kurt Russell's character's prejudices. You know, he's you know, he's like, oh, you think this is a you you think this is what all rednecks are or something? And then he's like, and then he and then he opens. Well, yeah, because he, he he's the one who tricks yeah. him. And he says, "I saw yeah. some guys go that way. I saw and, some guy go that way. I'm getting my trucker's license and all this. Yeah. You know, he's 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 playing up the the redneck thing to such a hilt. And then when he finally confronts him and he and he like takes off the hat and the, and his hair like drops down and he suddenly gets like really cruel and stuff. It's just like, oh, you know, okay. It's like it's like the shifting of. Of, uh, of of identities and stuff too is is, is really interesting uh, I think and and in how you know the villains play on really the prejudices of who ostensibly is supposed to be the hero so you know I feel like there's a lot of that going on in there the fact that I think it's produced by Dino De Laurentiis I, I think probably you know give uh, gives you a certain sense that there was producerial input here as well um, oh, so Dino. they were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were probably a lot of cooks in the kitchen to some degree, but they actually turned out 
something that I think happens to be a, a great fucking movie. Well, yeah, so, and, and I would say to, yeah. to your point about how this feels like it's, uh, you know, a kind of taking inspiration from all these different kinds of uh, these, you know, so so like exploitation and duel and things like this. I, I think the thing that blew me the way the blew me away the most about the movie was that how often it would it would shift into a different mode. Yeah. It would shift into an action. It would shift into a revenge. It would shift into a vaguely horrorish. And it's pretty seamless. And yeah, not and not only is it seamless, but it also constantly found interesting ways to shade what is an incredibly again another very simple story. It's a okay, simple yeah. it's yeah. it's yeah. a simple narrative, but the second you transition both in filmmaking mode and in um, you know, like a little bit of narrative, like when he has to go into the bank and he's, you know, he's he's sweating bullets and putting on a performance and all of this and not doing it very well at all. Yeah. <laughs> but then all of a sudden he has, to, then all of a sudden he has to take control and he's fighting with a dude uh, in in the truck yeah. and then all of a sudden he's riding the outside of the truck like. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, again, you yeah. in, in the big climax when we have steel on steel, it turns into this very it's it, it's Mad Max, but then also we get you know a lot of these. Um, more abstract steel on steel elements where yeah. it's like the engine revving Dude. over to the bridge and sparks are, are going off and then it's a close up of Kurt Russell's eyes and then a close up of him like gripping a, a steel chain that he's about to use to yeah, fight yeah. the guy and like you to, know it, it, to, to, the, the filmmaking gets animalistic yeah. as well as we get into that mm-hmm. yeah no, to also I would like to point out that I think another genre this kind of plays with a little bit is romantic comedy very glancingly mm-hmm. but In like the beginning uh, and stuff, I, yeah well, well, and actually, what I was going to say, my, one of my favorite moments, you know, and it's horrifying initially, like they, you know, they take uh, out the wife uh, in, in the garage, you know, and, and you think for a moment like she's dead and everything. And you get this like intense look on Kurt Russell's face because he's spying all this. And, you know, they're talking about like burying her, this, that and the other thing. And then she like kicks herself alive and and, you know, all the all the all the yeah. villains are like laughing and stuff and and then and then like and then jt and then and then the the wife like knocks or calls from the outside and jt walsh is like oh shit it's my wife we gotta hide this we gotta hide this woman's body and it's like and it's like in a romantic comedy or something where we're like the you know the spouse or something is trying to hide something from the <laughs> from the uh from from the wife or, or whatever you know the husband's trying to hide something from the wife it's and like it's just the house like that jack built yeah. 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 So I mean, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of things all at once and there is a seamlessness to it. And I mean, it's interesting. I never thought of that term as applied to this and especially just in the shifting identities, uh, genre wise of this particular film. Mm-hmm. Um, and how actually that speaks to some of its deeper meanings. So, you know, yeah, it's interesting. You know, thanks for bringing that up. Cause I never thought of that before. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I was just shocked because at one point I'm enjoying this awesome action scene of Kurt Russell in khakis riding the outside <laughs> of a tanker truck, and I'm like, this is awesome. And the next thing I know, we're having, a, a again, a comedic scene about what should otherwise be a horror scene Horrible, and is framed yeah. as a horror scene. Oh, and, and then it's also complicated by that guy's relationship to his actual family <laughs> and is, again, how many different things actually end up getting into this very simple narrative kind of blew me away by yeah, the end. Yeah, me too. Yeah, also, also, did you notice that when he reaches up, when he's about to climb up onto the ladder and uh, of the truck as the truck is moving, Kurt Russell, I mean, and uh, and he reaches up to kind of grab the ladder and steady himself and pull himself up, pull himself up. He 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 reaches up with the hand that has his wedding ring on it. And I think the camera slightly rack focuses so that you can just sort of glancingly see the wedding ring a bit better than his face. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, so, and I mean, I didn't notice this until like several times into the movie. And then I was like, oh, shit. So they're like focusing on the wedding ring as well. You know, so that's where yeah. I get into the, into the kind of like remarriage theme that I'm talking about as well. I mean, I think that that's kind of in there, too. You know, so they, well, yeah, like, that they've been separated and that they're getting back together, not necessarily in the way that they hoped, probably. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome though, and I, th- I think that absolutely applies. <laughs> Not the best applies. way you want to spark up a marriage. No, but again, I think that but... that's interesting, and it complicates it again. I, yeah. I actually found this much more rich and complicated than I anticipated when I first started watching the film, and I will say that that's probably going to make me want to revisit the film because as we kind of yeah. pivot to the reductive rating around here, this is actually going to get a pretty high four for me, honestly. Nice. And I think, I mean, I don't have Keith's relationship to the film, obviously, at this mm-hmm. point, but I. I see why Keith would, why you would have that relationship with the film. Yeah. And it, yeah. I have a feeling that I'm going to be, this is going to become a repeat viewing thing for me. Nice. And, uh, I, I can see myself constantly. Again, I feel like there was so much little tiny shading and details that happened during the transitions from, from, from filmmaking mode and narrative mode that it made me feel like I'm going to get more out of it when I eventually do revisit it again. So Yeah, because the uh, first time you're almost just shocked at all these I was shocked. Yeah. I actually had to go back and repeat scenes sometimes yeah. just to make sure that I saw what <laughs> I saw. Well, yeah, when when the, the family stuff happened, uh, especially when the mom said, do it, and then the scene yeah. happened, I had to go back and be like, did that, did she just say that? Because that like was not what I expected. And I had to do it yeah. again with the very, very ending because I I'd either, I don't know if I quickly glanced away or I didn't see the wife do it but i was like why did that truck just fall on him and then i went back and saw that the wife literally pulls the uh the gear yeah. so that it, it goes off the bridge and lands on him yeah. in this really horrifying yeah. way and again which, which i actually believe in some international cuts of the film that shot is removed so oh, the truck just falls by itself I, cool. I there are no there are other cuts i think that might have had to be edited for international consumption or maybe something else but or maybe it's maybe it's the tv you know the tv edit or something like that but i think there does exist like and not at mostos or anyone involved with the films i think you know r- real desire beyond a kind of censorship thing yeah you know yeah and uh, so, I mean, there are some cuts somewhere, I think, in the world where that shot is removed. And I do think that kind of would hurt a lot of what we're talking about. I think it's so essential that she that she that she does the coup de gras. Yeah, so no, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. For you, Jamie. Uh, I'm also going to give it the four. Yeah. It was really the last like 20 minutes that just ramps it up for me. I was really enjoying it. Uh, it's just the fact that it went balls to the wall. Well, the, uh, even even just the second half when it transitions yeah. into the the heist action to then like the the more like road action. And then you have a bit of like the revenge stuff mixed in yeah. with the horror and stuff. It's and it's seamless. Like, like you'd yeah. think that they'd be a little bit jarring or sporadic, but it's very seamless. They do it very well. Uh, they pace it out well. And then you also believe that uh, even Kurt and his khakis uh, would get to the point where he would be like, you know what? I'm getting my wife, you motherfuckers. And he's <laughs> traveling at the bottom of a semi truck on a, that on a seems high incredible. speed chase yeah. and, uh, or, or just uh, the, the highway. And, um, and yeah, just to, to go into a horror element and then to yeah, complicate the, 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 the whole villain home with his invasion family. thing where he's invading the killer's home and you're from you're getting it from his point of view as he's yeah. watching the normalcy of what it is for these kidnappers slash killers. Yeah. And ag- mm. again, it just it blows my mind that it goes straight from that truck scene of him climbing on the side of the truck to that home scene. Yeah, exactly. Like like they're so completely different and they 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 kind of complicate each other. It's so fascinating. Yeah, and then as soon as he gets mm. there, he's made that decision that he is going 
you know, hard on them. I mean, he goes in, busts in with a gun. Then you have the kid, so you know that the villain has taught his kid to shoot. There's just a lot of complications that I didn't think they were going to get into, well, especially, and, and, and especially waiting for the last 15 minutes well, of the film. And I was going to say, you talking about how he kind of finally is like, I'm going to really, really yell and confront, and I'm going to do it this time, because yeah. the first time he confronts him, when he pulls him over off the side of the road, he finds the trucker. He drives next oh, to the right. trucker. He makes him pull over, and he's like, hey, you took my wife. Like, did you? Where did you drop her off? Like, where is she? Yeah, and he's like, I don't know who you are, man. Yeah, and well, and you. and what's awesome about that, uh, and that kind of leads to a little bit of the paranoia aspect of it. Uh, I loved that, and I went had to go back and watch it again to make sure too, because I was like, he looks different. Why does he look different? Because um, mm. it's still JT Walsh, but in the first scene, he doesn't have glasses, and he's wearing a yeah. completely different shirt. So uh, then the yeah. second scene where he's I have a, that same yeah. thing. So I'm like, is it the same so, actor? It's, I was, I was, yeah. it's like one hour later and he's changed his shirt and put on glasses and like tightened the, like the way that his hat fits on his so head. And just like, enough. It's almost like he's trying to psychologically fuck with Kurt himself. Like, is yeah, he, am I the yeah. same guy? Yeah, you but, know, it, like, but yeah, but I'm, it's, I'm it's also enough. in the filmmaking, right? Because I watched yeah, it. I, I did the same. Yeah, yeah I did the same thing. The same way. Yeah. yeah, it is very smart. Um, but yeah, yeah. For, so for me, uh, I'm going to give it a four and <clears> I'm looking forward also to rewatching this bad boy because I just didn't expect it to be as complicated as it turned out to be. Yeah, <laughs> so. and, and well, yeah, and there's just there's so many uh, details in it that despite the fact that the again, like dual, the the sort of like uh, the stripped down nature of it and how tightly wound it is as like an entertaining action piece. Yeah, that there there are character details in this that really really throw you off. Yeah, they're very subtle yeah, too. Yeah. Like if you're not paying attention, I mean, like. Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, depth if you just look into it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Keith Keith would make that argument. So Keith, for you, what, <clears throat> yeah, are, we, what um, are we looking at here? <laughs> I mean, you're probably going to be shocked as hell that I give it a five. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, I, I, and I don't I don't know, Josh, if in your research you uh, found. Um, the video that uh, Kevin Lee, a friend of mine, shot of me and him watching Breakdown several years ago. No, uh, I didn't. And he, and, and he edits, uh, he edits like, I mean, it's not, uh, we did watch the full movie and re- he recorded it all, but it's basically like a 10 minute video. So he selected highlights of our reacting to things, especially me reacting. Oh, I just, to, like, I just Googled it. I see it here. There you go. There you go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I will never watch it fully i i'm somewhat embarrassed but you can see me act like a like 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 a blubbering idiot um <laughs> on video and um you know and i i think a commenter actually said on there because I, I unfortunately did see a comment that was like you know i don't think this works you don't seem like you're being genuine and i was like go fuck yourself yeah like <laughs> i was like I, I was like jennifer jason lee when 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 the polish accountant comes up in uh in, in twin peaks the return and and she's like go fuck yourself yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm watching this video now and i'm watching these scenes of like the, the the scene of where he's trying to pull the truck driver over but and then the the sort of like uh uh, the other vehicle pulls up in the oncoming lane and it cuts to to him like swerving out of the way to miss it and you can just see your face yeah. going like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no no I mean I mean I knew I was being filmed so maybe I guess that th- that probably does change certain things especially for someone who 
tends not to have any or does not have any training in terms of being in front of a camera. And if one is aware, you know, I guess maybe that can change things. But I mean, honestly, I was going to say, like, if, if uh, anything, you're probably actually trying to contain it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being aware and that, of the and that camera. might have. <laughs> that might actually be reading reading too but you know i mean there's no there's few movies where like when i watch them it's like they bring me back to that kind of same level of excitement you know that was there upon first encounter upon maybe even let's say encounter an initial run i feel like sometimes you can watch a movie over and over again like the first time uh, it's released and then you kind of step away from it and then maybe many years later you come back and you really don't recapture that sense of it but I've you know and I've had some spaced out uh, areas between viewings of this sometimes but every time I've come back every time it's just like it brings me you know it, in that way I guess it is the Proustian Madeline of like you know I, I it's like dropping the, the cake into the tea and and you smell and you smell the aroma and it's just like you're immediately back in it, you know, and it's not, yeah, that, I mean, everyone's got it, those movies. Everyone's got that it, one where it's like, you don't know necessarily that you could make the argument for an, another person's viewing experience of it. Yeah. But like, you know, that for exactly. you, that every time you're just, you're in love with the movie. Like, yeah. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just, it's just, uh, I mean, that's, that's what it is for me. I, I and you know, I, I'm never not who I am when I watch it. It's not like I, I suddenly become who I was in 1997, but it's just like, there's something it accesses certain uh, emotions and feelings and things that I feel like are outside of time. And that's really interesting when you find the movies that do that or the artists who do that, where it's almost like you're engaging with them or with the, with the thing itself, with the object itself, just like outside of proscribed time. You know, and it's like, it's like, the, you know, I, I love that sense because, you know, you're, it's, you know, I think it's like Jacques Rivette talking about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, where he said he had no idea what, what was going on, but he left the theater feeling 10 feet above the ground. <laughs> It's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like that, it, it, it's like, that's what, you know, a lot of the great movies are for me. It's like, uh, you know, um, I don't know that it's necessarily fully losing one sense of self because you, I think you really do have to come back to your sense of self and, and kind of grapple with whatever it was you were yeah, feeling. But like, I feel, like in, but in I, retrospect, you're still going to engage with your feelings and how they, yeah, yeah. But, but but I but I do feel like you know it 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 augments it it augments my reality. You know it 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 does actually lift me up. You know that the thing in the Manny Farber uh, the critic he wrote who wrote his precepts where he says the last thing that he wants the last the last thing he writes on that list is that he wants to give the audience some uplift. And I don't necessarily think that just means making them feel good. I think it means like like literally bringing them to a state of transcendence of some kind because actually that will then help them live better. You know, and so it's it's like I feel like that's what great art does, and uh, you know, great art. I think I think a lot of people sometimes shame genre for um, not being you know the high, highfalutin, having a highfalutin aura about it. You know, uh, that that maybe many associate with great art, but I think great art can come from anywhere, and you just and you you know you have to search for it. When you find it, it's it's like there's nothing better. And so wow. yeah, I mean both both these movies are kind of that. Well, I don't think anyone that that loves breakdown could possibly be any kind of snob. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think that it's possible oh, right. <laughs> because uh I mean, 
like there there is something so animalistic about oh, yeah. the uh the big bridge uh climax where the tire is go crushing over top of the hood of their vehicle and stuff like that yeah, yeah. and these people are yeah. hanging off the side beating each other to a pulp despite the fact that one of them is going to fall off at any second and it's just yeah. i got to say i was i was pretty swept up in the finale um so much that it, it made me want to almost instantly rewatch it again so mm-hmm. yeah great yeah i'm, I'm glad me, that you brought it thanks for too. bringing both <laughs> these films absolutely happy to do it and thank you for having me all right, that will wrap it up uh, for this week's episode, I think. That was uh, Steven Spielberg's Duel, 1971, and uh, Breakdown, uh, 1997, uh, it was? Mm-hmm. Yep. You got it, John Mostow. Um, uh, Keith, this is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug, you can do it here. Okay, yeah, I mean, we sort of did the the, the, the pre-show plug of my glass review at, yeah. <laughs> at Slack Magazine. Um, if, you, if you look uh, in Hollywood Reporter uh, in the coming months, you'll see me on some Sundance titles. You can review a lot of festivals remotely nowadays, so they have some people on the ground there, but they're also asking others who can see screenings like in New York and L.A. to kind of cover some of the other titles. So you'll find some of the reviews there. Um, you, uh, so, so slant a Hollywood reporter. Sometimes I've written for movie, uh, notebook, um, which, uh, where I did a bunch of, um, uh, recaps of, uh, twin peaks and the X files, the most recent series of, of both of those. And, um, yeah, uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get some books out of me at some point. So I hope down the line, you, you all will see, um, a Jonathan Demi book from me, yes. uh, a, 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 an X files, uh, study a a book that i hope to actually write at some point that uh puts together um spielberg godard and uh sam fuller's filmographies and kind of like uh compares and contrasts because sam fuller worked with both of them uh in 1940 in 1941 he plays a general uh with steven spielberg and of course he's in pierre lefou by godard so uh that's an idea that i hope uh, maybe will someday come to fruition additionally uh this uh, podcast has made me realize that i really do want to write a monograph on breakdown um <laughs> do it uh, so 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 hope so I, I guess I've now confessed to your audience certain projects that uh, I hope to uh, will come to fruition. Um, you can also uh, you can also find like just me generally at uh, keithulick.com. Uh, my site is called The Completist. Uh, that's a term my friend Matt Zoller Sites gave to me, and I liked it so much because I don't. I, I think it's an impossible goal. No one can ever be completist on anything, and so I think uh, it's playing a bit with irony. But there you'll we're, find. We're like, getting there, though. Uh, we're trying. Yeah, there, you know? there, yeah. There, 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 you'll find some, um, some, some articles or some articles I just wrote for the site, as well as a, an archive that I'm ever expanding of all my work ever. Um, which well, I can definitely uh, recommend sometime uh, soon. I can definitely recommend all of Keith's writing to you guys. He's one of my favorite people to read. And I can also recommend now this is going to be coming out soon, right? You and Labuza, the Cinephiliacs, yes. best of the year episode is going to come out. It is my yes. go-to best of the year list that anything that makes that list, I make a point in, in watching before, nice. uh, just because, uh, they kind of ignore, uh, any kind of broad, sort of acceptance on what the best films were the year with and just and just choose their stuff yeah Uh, whether that includes a tv series whether that includes i mean keith you're going to talk about ready player one right yes uh (laughs) my list is my list is already listed on on my personal site but my number one i I will tell you both is a tie between ready player one and abbas kiarostami's 24 frames see so so yeah 
He's he's yeah, gonna make um, the argument that Ready Player One was the best one. So and I'm gonna listen to that. I'm gonna listen to it <laughs> personally. Personally, I I did I did like it. I uh, did too. I wasn't yeah. one of these people who really you know got couldn't stand the material oh, yeah, and just use that as a, a way to yeah. you know kind of shoot the movie down. Uh, but I am very interested in what a it's the best film of the year uh, argument is, and I will devour yeah. that as soon as it's out. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Peter, Peter, Peter's an old friend, and uh, yeah, we do this every year. Uh, and his podcast, The Cinephilex, is something I think almost anyone with an interest in movies should listen to. Uh, but every year, basically, we do get together and kind of do a, a com- you know, we, we, we share our top tens and have very a very, very long, like, two-part discussion. So, uh, awesome. yeah, but I I, it seems most a lot of people who listen to it really like it. So uh, yeah, that's another place you can find me. And uh, my last name is unique enough that I think if you just type it into Google, you'll pretty much just get results on me. So absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yep. And the spelling will be in the title of this episode, so we'll be able to figure yeah. that one out. Yes. Uh, thank God I wasn't. Thank God I wasn't named Smith. So yeah, Keith Smith <laughs> wouldn't have done yeah. it. Couldn't have found you. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Keith. Uh, for uh, our audience, uh, the next episode you can expect from us in one week's time will be uh, for patrons. That's our bonus episode going up in one week. Uh, and we are sticking in the realm of uh, Dino uh, de Laurentiis produced prehistoric angled films. Yeah. We are going to talk Conan the Barbarian. Absolutely. We are. Uh, we're, we're making we're making a left turn. We make all kind of left left turns on this show. So we're going to be <laughs> yeah. talking Conan mm. the Barbarian uh, by John uh, Mil- Milius. 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 That's who. That's what we're going to be talking, as well as the sequel, Conan the Destroyer, both 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, high fantasy uh, films produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, that's what patrons you can expect next week. Uh, Jamie and I both watched them both for the first time. Yeah, so I did we'll a see. double feature we'll, last we'll, night. we'll see how that goes. Uh, but in two weeks' time, we're going to be back with a free episode for everyone, wherever you're listening, and we're going to be talking uh, Jacob's Ladder. Nice. Because there is an, one I've uh, seen. Yeah, and one <laughs> I haven't seen. <laughs> oh, and my I, God. Uh, this might be the first of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's seen something I haven't from 1990 <laughs> directed by Adrian Lynn and starring Tim Robbins. Uh, uh, but we're going to be pairing it with a, a sort of uh, a, another traumatized Vietnam war uh, story. And we're going to be talking uh, the underrated uh, war film by Brian De Palma, Casualties of War. Very excited. Um, Love me some De Palma. So. so in two weeks time, we are returning to uh, Vietnam and uh, that's what you can expect. Uh, I think in time, it's going to be in time for whenever the Jacob's Ladder remake is, which I honestly, I probably won't be watching, but it's always nice when our show uh, matches up with what the current zeitgeist is trying on, yeah. to force on everyone. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's, I hope it's good. So that's, that's what you guys can expect. As always, thanks so much for listening and uh, keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, y'all.